namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami Uh, the Lord Buddha said that it is very difficult to repay the debt of gratitude that we have for our parents. Even, he said, if we were to carry our parents, one on our right shoulder and one on our left shoulder, and carry them around for a hundred years, looking after them and taking care of them on our back, we still wouldn't be able to repay that debt of gratitude that we owe them. And the Buddha said that each person has three parents, three groups of parents. The first is those parents, your mother and father, which gives birth to us allows us to be born into the world. The second is those parents who raise us up and they're not always the same as those who give birth to us. Again we have great gratitude to those who give us birth and those who raise us. And then the Buddha said that there is another group which he called parents which we have great gratitude towards and that is those who give us birth in the Dhamma, those who teach us what is good and what is not good to do in life, those who point out uh, the heaven and hell and the way to Nibbana and the Four Noble Truths. They are the parents that allow us to take escape from the world, the first type of parents are the ones that give us birth in the world. The last group of parents are those who give us birth outside of the world, away from the world, the ending of suffering. They lead to the birth of the ending of suffering. And so too, now these three group of parents, uh, we owe a great debt of gratitude and appreciation to particularly this later group of parents, those who teach us what is right and wrong and point out the path to liberation. <clears throat> and that is why in the forest meditation tradition, in the tradition of the forest monks that I am familiar with in Thailand, there's a phrase when we speak about our teachers that we use often. We call our teacher Pa Me Kubajan, which basically translates as mother, father, sage and teacher. And so when we refer to Achan Cha, I would call him Mother, Father, Sage and Teacher, Achan Cha. 
And every time I would use his name, I would use that whole phrase. Mother, father, teacher, sage, achancha. Because it is reflecting on the teachings of the Buddha that this is a person who gives us, points out the Buddha's teachings, which is the pathway to liberation. And so that is why uh, that we take our gratitude and respect to teachers who teach the Dhamma very seriously and have great appreciation and so that is why this day has been arranged as a remembrance day for Achan And so I want to try and convey this evening something to all of you who are not familiar say with the tradition of the forest meditation tradition uh, in Thailand and also not familiar with the person of Achan I was very fortunate to go to Wat Nong Papong at a time when Achan was still healthy and well and still teaching. And so I want to describe how it would be if you were to go to Achan monastery and seek training as a Buddhist, as someone who wants to train in sila, samadhi and panya, virtue, peace and wisdom. And one of the things uh, that was unique um, in terms of the way Ajahn Chah taught was that he not just taught basic Buddhism or meditation or a meditation technique, but he taught patterns of life training, strategies for dealing with suffering, and skillful means to enable us to end our own suffering ourselves. One of the qualities I think that made Ajahn Chah a particularly skillful teacher was he trained his disciples to grow up and become independent of him by giving them the skills, the strategies, the means and the techniques of training body, speech and mind that the Buddha taught. And one of the qualities that was attractive to uh, all his uh, monks and lay people that were drawn to him but also of that forest tradition of Achan Man, his prior teacher, was that when you were living and training with him, the thing that stood out was the way of lifestyle, the teachings and the training was very similar, almost identical to how you read about the ways of life, the ways of training, and the techniques of developing uh, Dhamma Vinaya, the teachings and the discipline at the time of the Buddha. When you would read the discourses of the Buddha and then hear discourses from the teacher in the forest tradition in this day and age, you didn't find a conflict. 
when you'd see the practice of the monastic training of living in a forest, living simply, living uh, on arms round, living with basic necessities, being wandering homeless monks. That was being lived in this day and age. And so you got great confidence because you could relate to the Buddha's teachings in the style and training at the monastery of Ajahn Chah's Wat Nompopo. And one of the qualities that was very strong within him was his loving kindness. And I, I remember the first time I met Ajahn Chah, I hadn't intended to go and live with him. I actually had a ulterior motive to go and stay with Ajahn Chah. It's because I'd already ordained as a novice and I had malaria and I couldn't speak the language very well and it was very difficult to get treatment, go to the hospital when you don't speak the language. And so I thought, oh, I'd heard of Ajahn Chah and read some of his teachings, I knew he was a great teacher, but I thought I'll go and spend three months with him and live with the other Western monks because it'll be easier for me to get better. And then I will go and stay with another teacher after the rains retreat. I met Ajahn Chah in Bangkok. He was just returning from England. He had visited Ajahn Sumedho, had already gone to England at that time. And he was on his way back to the monastery. And a monk took me out to the place where he was staying. It was at a layperson's uh, property and she had built a kuti in the garden. And he was staying in that hut. And as I arrived, the car pulled up, we got out, and Ajahn Chah walked across the, the lawn. And so I knelt down and put my hands in Anjali. And he didn't say anything, but he just walked up and took hold of my hands in his. And it was like electric shock went through my body. Suddenly I felt as if someone had lifted a burden off of my shoulders that I'd been carrying around, the burden of the culture shock of coming to Thailand, the change of language, the change of food, the change of culture, uh, the new lifestyle as being a, a samana, and also the suffering of having malaria. And I was very moved and my mind immediately said, I have found my teacher. Even though my other mind was saying, no, I just want to spend three months of the rains until I get better. I knew intuitively that this monk was my teacher. And the thing that struck me was just his warmth and kindness, his uh, complete acceptance of you. But I didn't know at that time that that was his best trick. Achan Chah was very skilled. He used to say that the things that people remember is when they first meet you and then when they leave. So be very careful about how you 
greet people and then when they leave because that's what they tend to remember and so he got me on saying hello uh, it was his kindness, his warmth and his care and I saw that on many occasions that Ajahn Chah would uh, be very hospitable, incredibly charming, very kind but it was always very sincere, you never got the feeling that it was artificial it was just to please you, you really felt like you could trust this person and that was very unique because there are many teachers in, uh, in the Buddhist world and what I've found having, meet, meeting, having met many of those is that some teachers uh, uh, are disciplinarians and so are very strict. Some people, teachers you find you can love very easily and are very hospitable and welcoming. Other teachers uh, can be uh, a very wise and very skilled uh, speakers but it's very rare to get a combination of all those qualities where you meet a teacher that you both respect, love, trust and also feel a sense of uh, you can accept his teachings and they're intended for your own well-being. So that is one of the things that would draw people in and one of the things that Ajahn Chah seemed very concerned about was about your suffering because actually we were taking our suffering to him. The monks, the lay people were all going to him and saying we're suffering, we're not happy, we're not enlightened please make us happier please make us more peaceful please make us more wealthy please make us more uh, harmonious and so we were expecting something from him and he took your suffering and our suffering very seriously but he had very skillful ways of turning the problem into the solution in that Ajahn Chah would often not answer your problems or our problems but he would give you the tools for you to answer the problems the issues yourself and that is the skill of a great parent is that they teach their children the skills of life to deal with problems within life that they're going to face in the presence, present and in the future but it also is especially the great skill of a great teacher is that they give you and empower you the with the techniques to solve your own problems now and into the future and not only those daily problems of to do with money or finance or love or disappointment or uh, work or responsibilities but those fundamental problems to do with birth, old age, 
sickness and death, how to resolve those issues. And I will come back to this point further on. Um, but the so the first way that Achan Chah would give instructions was firstly through kindness. But the the next way that Achan Chah would give instructions, and especially for people who didn't understand the language, was by an example, by being an impeccable example. And his manners, his lifestyle, his demeanour and his sacrifice for Buddha Dhamma was incredibly impressive. For example, at Wat Nompapong when I first arrived, uh, the monks told me that every moon day, once a week, we stay up all night. At first I thought they were joking. But no, they said, no, we stay up all night. No one leaves the hall, the meditation hall. Uh, we're going to sit and walk meditation. And when I went to Wat Papong the first year I was a monk, Achan Chah would lead the monks, even though he was well into his 60s. Uh, he would lead the monks sitting meditation all night. And when Achan Chah sat meditation, it was very inspiring because he would sit facing the Buddha image and he would sit like a rock all night, not even moving the slightest. And he set the standard, he set the example. Sometimes you'd open your eyes hoping he would move a little to show a sign of weakness so that then you could move but no he would sit all night and I remember on one occasion it was a Wisaka ceremony so people had arrived in the morning very early many thousands of people because he was a great teacher and people used to come in great numbers to the monastery and he received guests all day gave Dhamma talks and teachings in the morning and then in the evening he went to the hall and led the meditation, led the evening chanting, sat meditation again and then gave a Dhamma talk to about one in the morning and then he got up to go back to his hut to have a rest which was quite unusual and so I rushed to take his, his bag because it gave me an excuse to leave the hall. And uh, I carried his bag out and as we're walking over to his hut, he just nonchalantly mentioned, I'm not so feeling so well tonight, I'm going to have a bit of a rest. I've had malaria for three days now. He'd been suffering from malaria for three days and no one had noticed and he'd not shown one slightest sign and yet he'd been teaching for the last number of days to all of us. And it really struck me then the degree of selflessness because if any of you have ever had malaria fever 
you know that it is a very difficult, painful and uh, dehabilitating illness. If I had malaria for three days, I would probably be in bed. And again, that was just one of those small examples that he led uh, the community, he led the lay people in how to live a Buddhist life. And another, another thing that inspired me is, was his example in the way he responded to situations. And I think most of us can hear good teachings and read good Dhamma books, but it's when we see somebody put in a very difficult situation and seeing them respond in terms of Dhamma, then that is very inspiring, especially if we consider how we would respond. And one example I saw with my life with Ajahn Chah was at one time, it was in the morning and uh, some buses of people from Bangkok had arrived at the monastery. They'd been travelling all night. And this group of people were being received by Ajahn Chah and I was sitting right next to him, right close. And uh, they, the group of people had brought a man who suffered from mental illness with them and they were going to go and visit many monasteries and they thought that if this man with mental illness went and made offerings to great monks then he would create good karma and that would help maybe in his uh, difficult situation and create good karma for the future as well. But unfortunately this man, maybe it's because he'd been up all night, he'd become very aggressive. And as Ajahn Chah was receiving this group of people, this man suddenly jumped up and ran at Ajahn Chah and punched him in the chest. Full punch, very loud. So much so that when I looked over and then everyone jumped up and grabbed this man down and pulled him down and calmed him down. And all Ajahn Chah said was, he has no mindfulness. And then turned to the people in the audience and said, are you tired? You must be very exhausted on all your travels. He didn't blink an eyelid and he never mentioned it again. And to me that was a reflection how would I respond if someone came and physically attacked me at this point in time, unexpectedly? Would I just be able to say, they have no mindfulness? And so it was an example like that of someone's ability and skill uh, to, to uh, respond in a way which was out of the ordinary. And uh, another, another example of uh, Ajahn Chah's sort of response to difficult circumstances was one time uh, there was uh, 
a monk, a very senior monk in the town who was a study monk and a scholar. And he uh, was very interested in study and scholarship. Achan Chah had studied Buddhist scriptures for seven years when he was a city monk. But he realized that what didn't lead, just study of scripture didn't lead to the cutting off of defilements. As he said, everyone can spell hatred. Everyone can spell greed. Everyone can spell delusion. But can we cut it off in our own minds? And so he decided to go off and practice meditation just as he'd read that the Buddha had practiced and lived the spiritual life. And he sought out Ajahn Man as his first teacher. Then when he came back and set up his monastery, there wasn't many forest monasteries, meditation monasteries in that area. And this particular uh, monk is a, a scholar and he was the senior monk of the district. And Ajahn Chah, at the beginning of the rains retreat, he would go and pay respects to all the senior monks in the area. And this particular monk, every time we would go and see him, he'd always criticize Achan Chah. We would take the whole monastery, 70 monks, and go and pay respects. And of course his interest was in scholarship, and so he used to tell off Achan Chah all the time. He would say, and I remember going with him one time, and this monk said, what are you teaching these people? You're teaching these monks just to sit with their eyes shut. They can't see anything. They can't read anything. How are they going to know truth with their eyes shut? How are you going to know truth if you just shut your eyes and meditate? No one can see anything. It's just dark. And then he told Ajahn Chah he was teaching everybody to be ignorant and foolish. And he criticized him for an hour. And as we sat there, uh, Ajahn Chah listened to the criticism and then at, right at the end, his only comment was, we will all know on the day we die who was true, who was right. And then he led everybody in asking for forgiveness. Now I found that as a monk a good example because firstly he was showing the monks that the Buddha's discipline and winya is not dependent on paying respects to only those people you like or agree with you or don't criticize you but it's a way of training to everybody and secondly that uh, he showed Huxley that the important thing is not what other people say about you but actually what you do yourself because we'll all uh, measure ourselves know what we've known and understand and realized in this lifetime at the moment we pass away we can know before that but we certainly will be able to measure ourselves at that time. And that is the most important thing. It is not what other people 
say or do to us, it's what we say and do ourselves. And the other way of training of Achanchas was uh, through instructions and teaching. So he would uh, be a person who would teach on all levels, teach the most basic things. One of the things that does stand out was his ability to teach lay people and monks as well, and nuns. Some great uh, teachers are very skilled at teaching lay people but do not develop a monastic following. Some teachers are very skilled at teaching monastics but not so skilled at teaching lay people. Ajahn Chah had the great skill of teaching all communities, not only Buddhists as well, but even non-Buddhist communities. We used to have a Catholic priest come and stay in our monastery uh, to practice meditation with Ajahn Chah because he found him one of the most spiritual persons, he said, that he'd met in this lifetime, both from the Catholic tradition as well as even from the Buddhist tradition. And his example was always to come back to the Buddha's teachings. And that's why he always gave emphasis and focus on the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And actually, to be quite honest, I think this is my interpretation, Achan Chah would not be so happy with having an Achan Chah Remembrance Day. My feeling would be it should be a Buddha Dhamma Sangha Remembrance Day. That would be his focus. That was definitely always his focus. And it's very interesting that actually there's very little about his own private life that we know from his biography because he didn't talk about himself very much. He never described his practice very much. And if he did talk about his practice, he always told you about his difficulties. How hard it was for him to practice, how difficult the struggles he had to go through uh, on his path to realize the Buddha's teachings. And in that way, it would be very inspiring for people. But also, he would always point you back to the fundamental teachings of the Buddha. And there are two very distinct fundamental teachings which I think stand out and almost are themes in his Dhamma talks. And the first one is to not look at suffering in the world but look at the cause of suffering in your own heart. Ajahn Chah used to come over to visit us at the International Forest Monastery, Wat Nanachar. And he would go down the line of monks and he would ask the senior monk, how are you today? And the monk would say, I'm fine. 
and he would say, that's uncertain. And then he would go to the next monk and say, how are you today? And he would say, I'm so-so. And he'd say, that's uncertain. Then he'd go to the monk down the end of the line and say, how are you today? And he'd say, I'm really suffering, Ajahn Chah. It's too hot, it's unpleasant, the mosquitoes are too many, I can't uh, eat the food. And he'd say, that too is uncertain. He would go down the line of 20 monks and it was only two or three words he would say, that's uncertain, that's uncertain, that's uncertain. This idea of this too will change points to this fundamental realization of the Buddha. The ultimate truth of reality which doesn't change is that everything changes. So when you know, not just intellectually, understand completely that everything changes, then you can let go of the world. And then you can see the problems of life as they really are. Don't have to attach to them. When you know that this condition, this experience will change, then you can let go of it. Not attaching to it to be the way you want or not be the way that you want. Allow it to be as it is according to reality. And this ability to point out that everything is uncertain is a theme that would go through his teachings. One monk had had a motorbike accident before he became a monk and then came to the monastery and there was lots of sitting and walking meditation and his knees became inflamed again and it got so bad that he had to sit on a chair and it was getting very painful and very difficult for him to do the chanting, uh, to sit cross-legged, to have the meal, because most of that was done on the floor and there were very few chairs in the monastery. And he went to Ajahn Chao and said, I'm having all this problem, this suffering because of my knees. And then he said, it's not meant to be this way. And Ajahn Chah said, if it's not meant to be this way, it wouldn't be this way. <coughs> and he realized actually when he actually said that, oh, that's true. This is how it is, not how I want it to be. So he was able to observe and be aware of actually how things are. <clears throat> Not the way we idolize them and think they should be. And this was an important aspect of his style of teaching. To point you back, he wouldn't answer your problems and difficulties for you but he'd get you to look at your own mind. For example, if he asked, how are you feeling today? And you said, you're not happy. 
He'd always ask, what are you attached to? Because we know that suffering arises because of attachment. And if there's an attachment there, craving there, tanha there, then suffering will naturally arise. <clears throat> then he would say, let go of the attachment. Because that, as we know in the Buddhist teachings, is the ending of suffering. So that was a very skillful pattern or strategic means that you could take away for dealing with problems and difficulties and suffering within one's life, whether in the present moment or in the future. If there's suffering arising, what am I attached to? When you see the attachment, then that's what you let go of and the suffering ceases. That is the tool that the Buddha gave us. And Ajahn Chah was just re-emphasizing the truth of the Buddha, making them clearer for us to understand. The Buddha's teachings were already clear and precise and simple. But the thing is, we need to be reminded of them. They're not teachings to be left in books, but they're teachings to be realized here and now. And so another aspect of Ajahn Chah's teachings was that he had uh, an absolute commitment to the ways of the Buddha the ways of doing things of the Buddha. For example, I remember one time a lay person wanted to offer a Volvo to the monastery, a car. And this was 30 years ago in the northeast of Thailand. At that time, there was very, very few cars on the roads. And a Volvo was considered an incredibly expensive car even to find in Bangkok, let alone in the northeast of Thailand. And this layman wanted to offer it to the Sangha and particularly wanted to offer it to Achan Chah. So Achan Chah said to the layman, I cannot receive this myself. I have to have a meeting of the Sangha first. And so he called a meeting of the Sangha and he asked many of the monks their opinions. And some people said, well, it may be very useful if someone gets sick and needs to go to hospital. Someone else said, well, it, maybe it would be useful if you receive it and it's, you can go and give more teachings at other places, Ajahn Chah. And so people came up with various reasons to accept this expensive and generous offer. And Ajahn Chah listened to all the opinions and views of the community 
some were for and some against and then he said you know what would the Buddha do the Buddha spread the teachings for 45 years throughout India he didn't have a car I would be embarrassed as a disciple of the Buddha to accept this gift and that all the monks went silent <laughs> and said we agree with you <laughs> and it was those examples that would he would put up to the community as a way of pointing us back to our source uh, to the Buddha pointing us back to the source of the teachings of the Buddha the Four Noble Truths the Noble Eightfold Path the Dhamma Vinaya. the other thing that he'd always point us back was towards respect to the Sangha Achan Chai had immense respect for the Sangha and that was highlighted uh, many many times but one time very clearly when he became sick Ajahn Chah developed a condition where he had pressure of a fluid on the brain and it had, he had a stroke and that affected his speech and his mobility but his mind was absolutely alert very bright and very clear. I looked after Ajahn Chah when he was in this period of illness but he was still teaching throughout that time his body was sick but his mind wasn't and the people that would come to him would often see him sick just in the posters you see outside in the exhibition out the front door sometimes sitting in a wheelchair and they would get upset and feel sorry they'd say I feel so sorry that a great teacher like this is sick and I would tell them that the body you see is sick but that's not Achan Chah if Achan Chah was still attached to the body then he wouldn't be the person we know as Achan Chah and I saw that so many times when he wasn't concerned for the body and one time he'd had an operation to remove phlegm from his lungs and you could see that he realized the body was getting close to passing away and the doctors <clears throat> had to um, they wanted to give him a, a food and medicine through a, a nasal drip and he didn't want that you could see he realized that he'd had enough this was enough for this body there was no further reason to stay alive uh, it's not that he didn't want to or wish to go there's, there's no cause and uh, he refused food and medicine at that time and so the doctors became very concerned 
And so all the monks, the senior monks, came in and asked Ajahn Chah, please, could you take the medicine, could you take food, and could you take liquids further to extend your life? And he remained silent. So then the next day we had a meeting of the Sangha. And then we went to Ajahn Chah and we paid respects to him as a community of monks and said, bowed down to him and said, Ajahn Chah, please on behalf of the Sangha and all the laity, we request you as a community to take food and drink and extend your life for the well-being and happiness of us all. And it's only when we asked on behalf of the Sangha that he nodded his head and continued to extend his life for another 10 years. And it was because of that asking on behalf of the Sangha, because of his respect for the Sangha. And that, I thought, pointed back to the example in the Buddha's life where Venerable Ananda's mind was overcome by Mara and he forgot or didn't ask because he was confused and overcome with sadness that the Buddha was passed, going to pass away because there wasn't a cause then the Buddha could not extend his life out of desire there has to be a cause in this particular case the Buddha, Ajahn Chah would never compare himself to the Buddha but in this case the cause had to come from the Sangha, not just his own wish. And it was those examples that uh, set up the standards in our tradition for always respecting the Sangha. And the other aspect of Ajahn Chah's uh, training once you'd come to him and accepted his training is that once you became his disciple then he would teach you to have great patience and endurance. There was a, a word that's often used in Ajahn Chah's monastery and it was called Toraman. And Toraman when translated into English means torture. <laughs> and Achan Chah was an expert in Toraman. <laughs> and but the, when you say that it sounds unusual. How can a monk torture his disciples? It's interesting, you never got the feeling that there was any motivation coming from a self behind it that it was for your own good that somehow he saw a weakness there and he would make you rise up to the occasion and I'll give you an example I was uh, sitting in the Abolsada Hall we were doing the chanting of the 227 rules of the monks and then the Achan Chai gave a Dhamma talk. Normally he'd talk for an hour or two and we'd leave. But this day he talked for seven hours. Now if I talked for seven hours to you tonight, 
then you would get an understanding of the word Toraman. Okay. Especially if you cannot leave this hall. You're not allowed to get up from your seat. After one hour it's inspiring. After two hours it's getting boring. After three hours it's definitely getting on the level of Toraman. <laughs> and it's very interesting, as he was giving this talk it was very high Dhamma. And he would then sometimes, I remember after five hours my knees were screaming and I was looking for a way out but he couldn't leave and I remember him looking around and he looked straight at me and he said are you suffering? <laughs> and I thought that was obvious and then he said you have to find a way out of suffering in the mind. Don't run away from the suffering. Because the Buddha's teaching of the first noble truth is to understand and know and comprehend and transcend suffering. And so it was by pointing you back and when he pointed me back to the mind then you could see that yes he was actually giving you the opportunity because if you were just to sit meditation alone in your heart you normally don't sit for seven hours straight. When the pain gets strong in the knees you want to shift or change. But he was using the peer group pressure of the community of monks sitting there and the pressure of the teacher sitting there. He was sitting without moving through the seven hours as well. I'm sure his knees ached as well. But he was pointing us and each and every person back. Dukkha needs to be comprehended investigated and understood and transcended through the understanding not through running away and that was a great skill but also I think his greatest skill was that he didn't lose many disciples as well because if it's coming from the wrong place you cannot do that again I cannot get my monks at my monastery to sit for seven hours while I give a talk because of the barometers are not there. The Dhamma is not the same. It's just like when the Buddha would give a talk to the monks, he would talk sometimes all through the night on Dhamma and the monks would be listening, inspired because of the barometers of the Buddha the spiritual qualities, the power of his mind, the power of his Dhamma teachings, the clarity of them, the skill in the presentation and what they were pointing to, his ability to understand and comprehend 
the audience and the Dhamma to teach that audience at that particular time. That is a great teacher who can do that. And not everyone can do that. The other quality of Achan Chas in terms of his Dhamma teaching was his teaching of how to let go of suffering. So not just pointing out to endure and be patient through what is difficult and unpleasant, but also to how to let go of things and how to put things down. And one of the monks was telling me that he went uh, with a walk through uh, with Ajahn Chah and as they were walking through the forest there was a big branch laying on the path and Ajahn Chah got him to pick one end of the branch up and Ajahn Chah picked the other and as they picked it up it was very heavy and Ajahn Chah said, is it heavy? and he said yes and then they threw it off into the forest and then said, now is it heavy? and he said no and he said, so too, your if your mind lets go of everything, it will be light. So he would say that if you let go of your attachments a little, you obtain a little peace. If you let go of your attachments a lot, you experience a lot of peace. If you let go of your attachments completely, you experience complete peace. And I want to maybe give you an example of his ability to teach. And this was a personal example. The first year uh, after I became a monk in 1980, I spent the Rage Retreat with Achan Chah and he had 70 monks staying in the monastery and uh, about 50 nuns and many many lay people coming in huge numbers to see him and one day I went on arms round and on the way back I was walking back with another monk who was again newly ordained and on the way back this monk started to find fault with the other monks in the monastery. This monk wasn't doing what he liked and this monk didn't say what he wanted and this he was complaining. And I remember thinking I didn't want to hear complaints about other good monks. And so I walked off ahead but I kept on thinking he shouldn't complain about other good monks. Why is he complaining about other good monks? and I started complaining about him. <laughs> and as I was thinking, he shouldn't do that, he shouldn't think that, I walked into the monastery and I had my head down thinking and carrying on this conversation that had ended ten minutes ago. And then I heard someone say in clear English, good morning. And I looked up and Achan Chah was standing a metre away from me with a big radiant smile on his face. And it was the first time I'd ever heard him speak English. 
who was the first, he could only speak two phrases of English. The first one was good morning and the other one was do you want a cup of tea? <laughs> because he went to England twice and everyone was always asking him do you want a cup of tea? And he said it's very easy to remember because it's like in the Pali chanting when the monks give the blessing Upakapati. <laughs> Do you want a cup of tea? And so he always remembered that. And so this was his chance to practice his English on me. He said, Good morning. <clears throat> and I remember putting my hands in Anjali and smiling and responding, Good morning, Achancha. Good morning, Lumpur. We called him Venerable Father. Good morning, Lumpur, Venerable Father. And he smiled, and of course my mood changed. I'd completely forgotten what this monk had said. Went back, we had the meal. That day I did sitting and walking meditation at my hut. And in the evening I decided to go and visit him because I had learned as a layman shiatsu, how to do press a massage. And every now and then I would go to his hut and give him a foot massage. And he found that that was useful. So this day I decided, Achan Chad said good morning to me, I'll go over and give him a foot massage. <laughs> I went to his hut and at that time there was about 10 or 15 monks sitting, uh, talking on Dhamma to him and listening to him explain aspects of Dhamma. And he was sitting on a chair like this, a, a, a bamboo chair. And so I sat down in front of him on the floor and he had his legs down and I started massaging his feet and he was chatting to the monks and then they rang the bell it was time for evening chanting and the hall for the evening chanting was very close to his his hut and he told all the monks to leave and go off to do evening chanting and he said Tanyana you stay here it was the first time I'd been alone with him. There were so many people usually around him. And he, uh, we didn't have any candles lit, it was dark, but the moon was coming up and it was one of those beautiful nights when it was temperature was just right. There was no mosquitoes around and I was sitting with Ajahn Chah and he just sat meditation and I was massaging his feet and then the monks started chanting 70 monks and it, I felt it was like in the heaven realms there was listening monks chanting the praise of the Buddha Dhamma Sangha and here you are repaying the debt of gratitude you owe to the teacher that the Buddha said you should do and he was sitting there peacefully and it was my chance to make a lot of merit and just as I felt like my mind was in the heaven realms he kicked me in the chest <laughs> and I fell backwards and hit my head and then he pointed at me and said see one monk says something you don't like and then another monk says good morning 
and you're delighted all day. <laughs> Do not get lost in the words of others. Watch your own mind. And then he gave me a Dhamma talk about not delighting in or getting lost in the words of others, whether it's praise or blame, whether we like it or don't. As he would say, if we like it, that's good. If we don't like it, that's good. If it's good, that's good. If it's bad, that's good. <laughs> and that, I was taken back and I sat with my hands in Angelis. He gave a very long talk to me. But the thing that impressed me the most was that he knew me better than I knew myself. And also I was moved by his compassion that I felt very much the compassion of like the Buddha. We read in the suttas that in the morning the Buddha would sit meditation and use his knowledges and psychic powers to pervade the world and see who shall I help today out of compassion and then he would go and teach uh, Angulimala for example and help him out of compassion relieving him from his suffering I felt very much that of all the monks in the monastery Achan Chah had decided he saw me walking in the monastery with my head down, thinking about what this monk said, and realized he's in hell. So he said, good morning, to take me up to heaven. But he realized you cannot teach somebody in heaven. You have to kick them down to the earth. <laughs> and then when they're on the earth, then you can teach them not to get lost in the words of another. And he also knew that this monk is very stubborn. If he had just told me everything is impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self, I would have forgotten that years ago. But because he kicked me, I always remember that. <laughs> and I can offer that as a teaching to you. This is not just me he's kicked. Remember that yourself. When people praise you, or blame you, or people say things that you agree with or disagree with, like or dislike. Do not get lost in the words of others. Maintain your mindfulness and awareness of yourself. And so I'd like to give this as an example of Ajahn Chah pointing out for us to develop self-awareness and abandon our suffering. And when we do that, then we're coming back to the core teachings of the Buddha. And so today, on this special occasion, we have gathered here, and I'm uh, so delighted to see so many people, so many good bhikkhus and good nuns and lay people, who some of you have heard of Achan Chah, some of you have not are recognizing somebody who doesn't want to be recognized for himself. Achan Chah never wanted a personality cult around him. He always wanted us 
to look to the Buddha Dhamma and to look to the teachings of the Buddha as a way of liberation to always focus on those fundamental teachings of the Buddha and to apply them and practice them in our own lives and then we can find the freedom of suffering. So I'd like to end the talk this evening on this point. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.